Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Ramey. Today, we talk with Shelley Miller, the Jonathan W. Bulkley Collegiate Professor of Sustainable Systems at the University of Michigan School for the Environment and Sustainability. Shelley works on a wide range of topics, but today she's going to help us understand whether reusable products like straws and coffee cups are really more sustainable than their single-use counterparts. Today's episode is really, really fun and very much news you can use, whether you're trying to decide if you should buy that reusable sandwich wrapper, straw, or take home that latest canvas bag from the latest conference you've attended. Stay with us. Shelley Miller from the great University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Welcome to Resources Radio. It's great to be here. So Shelley, we are going to talk today about your work on reusable alternatives to single-use plastics, uh, which is going to be really fun and really interesting. Um, But first, we always ask our guests about how they got interested in working on environmental issues, maybe as a kid or, or through other means. So what kind of drew you into working on this stuff? Yeah, so I think I've always really been connected to the outdoors. I've always been a very dirty kid, you know, playing <laughs> in the mud, you know, going on hikes. And so I've, I've always loved being outdoors. Um, I think where it really got me in sort of a career mode was um, actually probably high school or, or early college. And, and I learned about the concept of hermaphroditic frogs. Um, <laughs> and so it was, it, I, it was the first time I'd really understood that this idea that pollution coming from you know, people could actually affect, you know, sex organs of of animals and, and our ecosystems. And so it was sort of this fascination with this idea that that chemicals that we're producing for different things, um, you know, can come in and, and really affect uh, reproductive capacity of species in a, a totally fundamental way. And so, yeah, it, I mean, and that just really got me. And so I decided to continue in an environmental career. That's so interesting. And so were the were the frogs hermaphroditic because of the chemicals that they were ingesting or were they naturally hermaphroditic or what's the story? No, there? so it's actually because of, well, there's this certain kinds of pollution called endocrine disruptors. And so what it ends up doing is it, it interferes with sort of the biological systems of, of frogs and other sensitive uh, species, so generally amphibians. And it actually just changes uh, the biology in, in a very fundamental way. And uh, so I thought that I I was going to be going into sort of the organic chemistry of all of that. My path took a slightly different route, so I can't I can't tell you the exact mechanism, but it, it's it's truly fascinating to see just how much interference we can cause. Wow, that's fascinating. It, yeah, and I wouldn't understand it even if you could. I see <laughs> in high school biology, and that was the end of my biology career. Um, so uh, let's dive in now to our uh, sort of main topic of conversation, and I think maybe we'll come back to hermaphroditic frogs later. Sure. So you know. You've worked on tons of fascinating topics over the years. Uh, we're just going to really focus in on one recent paper, uh, and the paper is called "Environmental Payback Periods of Reusable Alternatives to Single-Use Plastic Kitchenware Products." Uh, so it's a really fun paper. It's it's very much like news you can use. Um, but can you tell us the motivation behind uh, doing the study and what types of questions you were trying to answer? 
Yeah, so, you know, there's just this fascination, I think, in the public eye right now about single-use plastics and, and the need to reduce our reliance on single-use plastics. And a lot of my work recently has been exploring this topic and trying to make sure that if we get rid of single-use plastics, we're doing it in the right ways. Um, and so uh, part of the, the, the motivation for this work is, is really highlighting that Yes, we should be working on reducing single-use plastics, but just reducing single-use plastics as an end goal, there's potentially trade-offs there. And so the big motivation for this work is to say, yes, reusables, which we generally think of as incredibly environmentally friendly, they do tend to have environmental benefits, but only if we reuse them responsibly. And so uh, the purpose of this work is to highlight uh, some of those trade-offs and also really investigate the comparative environmental impacts of single-use products and multi-use products through this idea of an environmental payback period. Um, and so what we what we call the environmental payback period is basically the idea that any sort of reusable product tends to be more durable than a single-use product and so that requires a lot more material and energy to go into it and so it needs to be reused a sufficient number of times to pay back sort of that embedded material costs of the more durable item yeah that's that's so great and um can you now tell us kind of what are some of the metrics that you use to estimate that environmental payback period? And then maybe tell us which, you know, what types of products you're, you're looking at and trying to answer the question of whether the environmental payback period um, is, you know, one use or 50 uses or 100 uses and so on yeah, and so forth. Sure. Um, so the so when we say environmental impacts, there's not a single environmental impact. And so there's there's lots of different ways of, of measuring uh, what is impactful. Uh, our study looked at three different metrics. So global warming potential, so climate change emissions, uh, the amount of water that gets consumed throughout the entire life of the product, and then also the amount of energy that gets used and consumed. So we use those three metrics and every product is different on each of those environmental impacts. And then we looked at some fairly uh, broad uh, categories of reusable items that people use every day. Um, and so we looked at reusable straws, which uh, seem to be very popular these days as we're getting rid of single-use plastic straws, uh, sandwich wrappings, coffee cups, and forks. And uh, we chose those because they're all fairly simple products uh, that we can, you know, there's not lots of different types of materials that go into those. And so so we, for each of those categories, we had a, at least one single use item compared to multiple reusables that are available. Great. And we're going to talk about each one of those products in, in a couple of minutes. Um, but first, maybe one quick follow-up question on one of the environmental metrics that you mentioned, which is water consumption. Um, water consumption, I, I'm just curious how you measure it, right? Because sometimes we we use water to, let's say, wash something, but then the water gets recycled, right? It goes back into the sewer system and it gets treated and reused and that has energy implications. And so I'm just curious what you when you say water consumption, can you define that term a little bit more? Sure. It's basically how much water is, is used through the process. And it's absolutely true that the water cycle reuses and recycles water. But it's basically any time we're taking uh, water from a pretty high standard to a degraded standard in some way that's going to have to be treated again. Um, so any water that ends up going to water treatment that has to be treated again, that would be considered water consumption. 
Got it. Okay, thank you. That's really helpful. So um, as I said, we're going to go item by item in, in a moment to talk about what you found. But first, are, are there any kind of high-level takeaways that you want us to keep in mind as we talk through the specific findings for each product? Absolutely. So the big idea with reusables is in order for reusables to have environmental benefit, we actually need to reuse them. And it sounds so simple, right? Um, but it's often a larger number of times than people realize. And so I think whenever we're thinking about reusable alternatives to single use products, it's really important to say, all right, if I'm buying this reusable bag or this reusable coffee cup, actually committing to reusing it. Because if we're just constantly buying reusable items and treating them more or less like single use items, we're increasing our environmental impact. And so that's why it becomes really important to make sure that if you buy reusable straws, for example, you're actually going to use those reusable straws. Yeah. For sure. And I have to confess to being guilty of losing many mugs and uh, reusable water bottles over oh, yes. the course of my life. So I am definitely guilty on some of some of these fronts. Um, so uh, so let's talk about what you found. So first, uh, you know, number one in our round of reusables, uh, let's talk about straws. What did you find? Uh, and what was the kind of driver of the variations uh, in, in what you find? Yeah, and so, you know, plastic straws are kind of at the forefront of this single-use plastic uh, bans, right? So a lot of people are looking at reusable alternatives or uh, other single-use alternatives. And so what we looked at were bamboo straws uh, that are reusable, glass straws, metal straws, and silicone. Um, and one of the interesting findings we had is that actually the bamboo straws never broke even on any category. Wow. And that's partially due to the lifetime of the bamboo straw. So it actually would degrade to a point where you wouldn't be able to use it after a certain number of uses. So it doesn't ever really break even. The other three materials do break even, but actually a pretty large number of uses. So for example, for a glass straw or a metal straw, you have to use those at least 150 times to break even on all three impact categories. And so you have to be really dedicated to that metal straw um, as far as you know reusing that straw. And so yes, certainly there are people who who need straws, uh, you know, in our society. But again, if you're really thinking through, all right, this plastic straw versus a metal straw, you know, you're, you're going to have to carry that metal straw with you for for quite some time and, and be drinking a lot out of it. Yeah. And you account for things like, you know, washing the straw and cleaning the straw and things like that, right? Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah. And so actually, uh, so dishwashing emissions actually end up being a big part of the reusable environmental impact. And so the, the field we're talking about is life cycle assessment. And so what we're doing is we're measuring things throughout the entire life of these materials from when they're extracted from the ground uh, or grown in um, a forest uh, to when they're produced uh, and manufactured to when we interact with them and we wash them and then also when we dispose or recycle of them. And so what our group does, and I should say Hannah Fettner is, is actually when I say our group, she's really the one who did all the work. Um, so Hannah Fettner is a, a master student who just graduated. So she's responsible for, for all of these data. Um, so what she did is, is really going through and, and measuring the environmental impacts through uh, various databases of uh, each of these materials throughout their entire lives. 
And so this idea of what we're measuring here, what often ends up being one of the big items is dishwashing. So heating water, uh, uh, soap, um, the electricity of washing the, the dish, um, whatever it happens to be. And so it's both the amount of material that goes in and sort of, you know, metals are very environmentally intensive to produce, but you also have to wash reusable items and single use items you don't. And so there are dishwashing emissions that actually tend to be fairly significant in these products. Yeah, that's fascinating. And and of course, you know, we're scratching the surface here for people who really want to dig into the details, they can they can check out the paper and and the methods where everything is described and and of course we'll have a link to that in the show notes so people can do that. Okay, so that's straws. Let's uh go to our next um our next round of reusables, which is sandwich storage. Tell us about sandwich storage. Oh, this is one that breaks a lot of people's hearts, I will say. So so sandwich storage, we looked at sort of the, the very classic zip top plastic bag, um, and we compared them to uh, the very rather durable uh, silicone bags that you're seeing. Um, I won't mention any brand names, but there's some very popular ones on the market. Uh, so it's the silicone ones, and then also beeswax wrap that is uh, incredibly popular. And this is one that we actually surprised us, um, but it turns out that on most impact categories for both of these products, there is never a point that they break even with the single use product. Silicone does on, on water consumption after a hundred uses, but basically if you're talking about uh, greenhouse gases or energy use, you never have a point that beeswax wrap or silicone uh, storage bags are going to be able to have environmental benefits over the plastic bag. And that is highly disheartening to lots of folks. Um, but the reason for it, and if you kind of back away from it, it makes sense, just that there's so little material in those uh, thin film plastic bags. And so the amount of material and energy that go into producing those plastic bags are so very small that it tends to be the dishwashing of these alternatives is actually more, uh, is, is greater than the actual manufacturer of the plastic bag itself. And so it's, it's, it's not by any stretch of the imagination saying that these products are bad or harmful environmentally. It's just saying that there's so little materials in these thin film plastic bags that even dishwashing these other alternatives is more impactful. Yeah. That's so interesting. And we, it's, it's funny, we, at my house, we got some of these beeswax wrappers a couple of years ago, and I've always wondered whether uh, it's actually doing any good. And, um, and, and I, I'm just curious to learn a little bit more about the beeswax, maybe partly for selfish reasons, but I have no idea how those things are manufactured, sort of what goes into them, what the different sort of environmental impacts are. Can you just talk us through the, the beeswax story a little bit more? Sure. So, I mean, there's, as I said, there, there's not much environmental impact there. I mean, so you you are um, you know taking basically from honey production the comb of um, beehives, right? And so you're you're making that into wax. And I will admit, I don't know the exact uh, processing of, of of how to take honeycomb into beeswax, but there's there's some processing steps there. But it, they tend to be pretty minimal from environmental standpoint. And then there's some sort of fiber. So um, depending on the company, um, you know, some sort of um, 
you know, fabric associated with it. And you basically end up having a coated uh, fiber material uh, with this wax wrap. Um, one of the, the, the things that we saw is that beeswax wrap really doesn't do well in the dishwasher. And so it tends to have to be hand washed. Um, also interesting from the dishwashing perspective, mechanical washing of dishes uh, in a dishwasher, as long as you're doing it efficiently and effectively, tends to have fewer environmental impacts than when you hand wash. And so one of the things, one of the reasons that beeswax wrap does tend to be a, a bit higher uh, than the sandwich bag, um, plastic bag emissions, is the difference in these uh, dishwashing emissions. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and yeah, we definitely wash ours by hand because they seem like they're going to get torn up if they go in the dishwasher, which yes. would, again, defeat right. the purpose of reusing them. Yes. And and I think it also goes to the lifetime of the beeswax wraps, right? So they just don't stay around um, long enough in order to break even. But it's also the, so I will say as far as dishwashing, individual results vary, right? So there are a lot of variances in these data. As you said, we're just breaking the surface in the podcast. Um, there's lots of data that goes into these. But if you have a highly efficient uh, dishwasher and you're in a grid that you know you have a high percentage of renewable energy you know you, you very well could see a, a uh, break-even point with these um, so so it, it does say individual results vary right for sure and of course this will change over time too right in in 20 years hopefully we'll have a much cleaner grid and maybe you know more uh, heating water with electricity in homes rather than natural gas and so of course this stuff can change over time. Yes, absolutely. And so we, we do expect that that these uh, payback periods will reduce as, as you say, our grid becomes more efficient, as our houses become more efficient. Um, and so uh, overall, uh, we do expect these payback periods to be reduced. Yeah, great. So very important to keep in mind, even as we're having fun with our sort of current results and, and some of their um you know, unintuitive results, uh, which are so, so much fun. Okay. Let's do two more. Um, next up is coffee cups. Tell us about coffee cups. Yeah. So this is, uh, we looked at coffee cups and so we, we our, our single use product was the very iconic, you know, paper cup with the plastic lid attached to it. Um, and we compared three major reusables here, sort of the very classic, uh, very popular metal, uh, travel mug, uh, reusable plastic, uh, travel mugs, and then your, uh, very, you know, typical ceramic mug. Um, and so what we found here is that, again, uh, reuses uh, varied. Uh, if you have a classic ceramic mug, uh, you need to reuse that about 30 times for it to break even in all impact categories. Um, meanwhile, the reusable plastic and the metals, you have to use upwards of 200 times to break even in all of them. So again, if, if you're, you know, you love your metal coffee mug, you know, make sure you commit to it and, and to your point earlier, not leave it anywhere. Uh, so you don't want to take, you know, a metal coffee mug, which let's face it, we don't want to lose them because they tend to be um, a little pricey sometimes. Uh, so you don't want to leave them anywhere. You also don't want to think, oh, you know, changing with the seasons, let's get a new reusable mug. Um, it really is like I have a great metal coffee mug that I bought years ago and um, it is near and dear to my heart. And so I, I feel very confident that it is well past its payback period. I have reused that mug um, for pretty much 
every workday of my, my working life five days a week for the past five years. And so that has paid itself back. And I know uh, very clearly that uh, that, that is uh, more environmentally beneficial than if I uh, were to use single use coffee containers. Yeah, that's great. And plus, you have the added benefit of, you know, if someone sees your coffee mug around the office uh, or around uh, campus, they'll be like, oh, that's Shelly's mug. I've it's seen right. that mug every day for five years. <laughs> I know. It's getting beat up by now, but it, it it's well-worn and well-loved. Yeah, that's great. And can you tell us a little bit more about what's driving the need for that large number of reuses for, for example, the metal mugs? Is it is it dishwashing again or kind of what are some of the big factors there? So with these products, there's a couple of things going on. One is just the total amount of material. So, you know, in order to have the insulated sleeves, uh, you know, so you can have a comfortable holding experience, you know, you tend to actually use a pretty hefty amount of metal compared to, you know, what is essentially a very flimsy single-use product. So one is the difference in overall materials used. Also, we're talking about manufacturing metal. And so uh, when you actually look at processing of, say, aluminum from the the mineral bauxite is where it's coming from, you basically have to take rock and turn it into metal. As it turns out, that's pretty energy intensive. Um, and so you have to use a lot of energy to make metal. But the good news is, is that once you make it, you know, you can recycle it very easily. Um, it ends up being a very durable product. But all of those manufacturing emissions have to be paid back over time and it has to stay in consumption for a fairly long lifetime. Great. Okay, so um, so I will make sure not to buy a new pumpkin spice coffee mug every time pumpkin spice season rolled around. Mostly Indeed. because I that stuff is gross. <laughs> you you uh, look great with one though. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, let's do one more. Uh, tell us about forks. Yeah, so forks are one of those that actually have pretty reasonable payback periods. Uh, we looked at, compared to your sort of standard plastic fork, we looked at bamboo forks, reusable plastic forks, and metal forks. And for the most part, these are all under 10 uses um, in order to pay back. There's, uh, you know, a couple of variation. Um, bamboo has a bit higher water consumption just because it takes uh, a lot of water to grow bamboo. But overall, we're talking that, you know, for reusable plastic forks, they pay back all of the environmental impact categories in five uses. And when you think about it, this makes sense because when you think about your, your standard plastic fork, it's actually pretty durable because, you know, they have to make it structurally sound. Otherwise, it's you're eating your salad or whatever, it just bends and breaks. So they actually have to use a good bit of plastic for the disposable item. And so it doesn't actually take that much more uh, for things like the reusable forks uh, to be able to be competitive in that space. That's really interesting. So I'm curious, like, is it common for people to bring their own cutlery to restaurants? Do you bring your own cutlery when you go out to eat? I've never thought about doing that, but now maybe I will. So I don't do it to restaurants generally because they have their own cutlery and so they're reusing them. And so whether or not I bring a reusable one or I reuse theirs, um, that, that, that doesn't necessarily matter that much. But in terms of, you know, I, I'm in a school for environment sustainability and I can tell you that we uh, promote bringing your own cutlery to any sort of uh, eating events. And so uh, we promote a culture in our school that by all means bring your own cutlery. So 
we don't have to go through uh, plastic forks or even, you know, compostable disposables are also fine, but certainly reusables would be better. Right. Yeah, there are there are lots of events on campus that are, you know, zero waste events. And, and I imagine this is definitely, you know, part of that story. Oh, absolutely. And so I feel like cutlery is one where you can feel very confident promoting reusable items and they'll pay themselves back pretty quickly. Great. Okay, so Shelly, we've gone through the four items that you focus on in the study uh, that um, that you recently published with uh, with your colleague or, or student co-author. But um, let's talk just for a minute about another topic that people are really interested in. And, and I know you're, you know, generally aware of the literature uh, on these topics. So can you tell us about reusable bags? Many of us use reusable bags when we go shopping and we sort of feel good about not using the plastic bag. Um, but what are some of the environmental trade-offs associated with using uh, reusable bags? Yeah, so I think this one has has popped up a, a number of times in the news. Um, and there's this very famous study out of Europe that, that looked at uh, shopping bags and said, all right, well, compared to single-use plastic shopping bags, what's this payback period? And so when you think about a canvas tote or, or you, know, uh, you know, the reusable bags that you see in the grocery stores that you can purchase, those have to be better, right? And so this study really came out and said, well, they can be. But again, they have to be reused and they have to be reused a surprisingly large number of times. I think where people get really surprised is how long it takes cotton bags uh, to break even. And as it turns out, cotton, uh, from a life cycle perspective, is a pretty intensive material. It requires a lot of water. It requires a lot of energy to produce. And so because of that, the, the number of reuses for cotton bags are really high in the hundreds. Um, and so, again, if you're going to have a cotton tote and try to replace your single-use plastics, you have to really commit to that cotton tote and not say, oh, after you know 25 or 30 uses, it's getting a little raggedy, we'll replace it with something else. If you actually want to achieve the environmental benefit, you have to really commit and to really reuse that bag a long number of times. Same things with you know the less durable items, the ones that are often sold in grocery stores. Um, sort of the plastic, the plasticky kinds of ones um, that are slightly more durable plastics, those do have a slightly lower payback period, but again, they have to be reused. So if you're finding yourself in, in the situation where you're saying, hey, I, I wanna do the right thing for the environment, but it turns out I can never remember to bring these bags. And so you basically end up buying these reusable bags nearly every time you're going to the grocery store, you're not actually accruing an environmental benefit. You're actually better off with the single-use item um, on the basis of things like greenhouse gases and energy use, because what you're essentially doing is taking a reusable item and turning it into like not a single-use item, but a very few-use item. And so if you're someone that finds yourself with, you know, a closet full of reusable bags, you know, maybe just stick with the ones that you have. <laughs> oh, that's totally me. I have. It's um, all of us. Yes. Yeah, we have, um, yeah, this cabinet, you know, near the door where we keep our, our reusable bags to take them out. And it seems like the number of bags just keeps growing over time. And it's, and a lot of it isn't because we buy them, but you, you know, people give them to you as swag when you go to a conference or when you go to an event or something like that. When, when you're at conferences or events and you're offered a bag, do you take it? <laughs> uh, I, I generally, 
generally don't. And so actually it, it goes to, um, so, so we, we've done some other work that's, um, you know, exploring consumer perceptions of single use items. And so uh, we, we did a paper called Five Misperceptions of Single Use Plastic. And, and one of the, and you can imagine that a lot of people were, were not very happy about it um, because it, it does explore some of these misperceptions. And one of the, the misperceptions we talked about is that zero waste events are not always lower impact um, because of these ideas that if you're planning a zero waste event, you could have the greatest of intentions, but you really have to think through some potential unintended consequences of what you're doing. So if you are, for example, uh, giving away freebies um, that are um, intended to be reusable, but are not actually a very high quality, likely your uh, participants are not going to reuse those a large number of times. And so what you want to be very careful of is that if you do choose to do some free giveaways or say put out reusable mugs with the intention that people will reuse them, that you are fairly certain that they actually will be reused. And um, you know, I think it, it's, it's a great idea um, to have sort of these reusable items in there, but what we don't want to have is just people accruing reusable items in replace of single-use products, because that actually doesn't result in environmental benefit. If every time we go to a conference, we just get more reusable items that have more embodied environmental impact. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Shelley, this has been so much fun and so uh, edifying, and um, you know, in some ways disheartening, as you as you say. But you know, the purpose here is to educate us as consumers and make sure we have the best information when we're making decisions and and really being mindful about what we use and and when we use it. Absolutely, and and just one thing I will say, and and I know that this is this is one of those things that people get really caught up in some of these uh, comparisons. All of these things are so small in terms of our environmental impact. And so um, there's lots of things we can do as consumers that uh, you know, have much more of an uh, impact on our environmental footprint. And so yes, while it's certainly great to pay attention to reusing your reusables, um, there's lots of other things that you can do. So I would say, don't get too caught up in these details. Um, if you're doing other things as far as trying to reduce your environmental impact, uh, th these are things that you can think about on sort of the margin. But overall, there's there's plenty of things that you can do beyond just the reusables. Right. And and we only have a couple minutes left, but can you uh, maybe just highlight some really important ones that you think of that rise to the top of the list, whether it's, you know, vehicle purchases, decisions about flying, decisions about what you eat? What are some of the things that come to the top of the list for you? Well, you got them all right there. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I always say there's there's three big bins. There's thinking about our transportation miles. So how much we transport ourselves and by what mode, uh, thinking about our houses in terms of uh, how we power our houses, if we are able to uh, participate in any renewable energy purchasing programs or not, and how much energy we use in our houses. And then, of course, our diets and what we eat and how both environmentally intensive the, our food choices are, where certainly uh, meats and dairy tend to be much more environmentally intensive than vegetables and grains, um, but also how much food we waste. And so thinking through those things are you know, tend to have a much larger uh, contribution to our environmental footprint than something like a straw. Yeah, 
Absolutely. But talking about straws is fun too. So straws uh, is a lot of fun. So um, this has been really fun, Shelly. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Shelly Miller from the School for Environment and Sustainability. Let's close it out with our last question that we ask everybody. What's at the top of your literal or metaphorical reading stack? Yes. Um, so, you know, one of the things that uh, th- there's lots of really great books out there right now. There's lots of, you know, that range from inspiring to depressing. Um, I will say, you know, one of the things that I, I go back to, and they're, they're fairly classic at this point, um, is if you've never seen them, there's these uh, green shorts, uh, these short uh, pieces um, by Isabella Rossellini. And uh, she has a number of them uh, that are out that are these alive action where she acts out various mating and nurturing rituals of uh, various species. And so she has a number of them, uh, Mamas, uh, Seduce Me, which you can imagine what that's all about. And then my personal favorite is Green Porno. Um, And so these go through uh, the various mating habits and various oddities of uh, different species in a really fun and exciting way. And I, I love them. If you've never seen them, a couple of them have been around for a while. Um, I highly recommend them. They're great procrastination devices where I will say, all right, if I can just get through this stack of papers, I can watch a green porno uh, afterwards. And so they're they're a ton of fun. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay, so um, we started with hermaphrodite frogs and we're ending with green porno. <laughs> I think this has been one of the most successful episodes we've had to date. Um, this has been so much fun. I don't fun. know what that says about me, actually, because, uh, well, anyway. It says, you, it says you have a wide range of interests, and we appreciate <laughs> we'll that. We'll go with it. <laughs> Great. So Shelly Miller from uh, the University of Michigan, thank you so much for coming on to the show today and sharing all of this really fascinating information. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Daniel. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Learn how to support resources for the future at rff.org slash support. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson, with music by me, Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.